praise this holy day. He is our rock, our shelter. And you can call him as your own. You know, our God. He loves you. He has a place for you. He has power to equip you. He has a purpose for your life. Lord, we pray for this morning. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would continue to be with us in a mighty way. And as we reflect upon one of the stories of the Old Testament this morning, we pray, Lord, for your anointing and your power to rest upon each and every one of us. Help us to be reminded as we look at the story of Gideon this morning that you had a place in history for Gideon and you have a place for us. Help us to be reminded as we look at this story this morning that you equipped Gideon with all the power and with all the resources he needed to go against the battle that was yours. In this room, there are many who are facing battles today, and I pray, Lord, that they would trust you for the victory. We pray, Lord, as we look at this story, that we would be reminded that you have a purpose for each of us. You've blessed us, Lord, as a people, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a blessing to our world. Speak to us, Lord. We're listening. And we pray this in your wonderful, blessed name. Amen. This morning we look at one of the classic stories, the Old Testament. It's the story of Gideon, and it's found in the book of Judges. And if you, if you go to your Old Testament, it's the seventh book of the Old Testament. Judges chapter 6. We'll begin reading this morning at verse 1. And as we look at this story, we're going to be reflecting upon three things. The place of God for Gideon and the place of God for you. The power that God gave Gideon and the power and the resources that God gives you. And the purpose of God for Gideon and the purpose that God has for you. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the other eastern people would invade their country. They camped on the land and and they ruined their crops all the way to Gaza. And they did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites, they cried out to the Lord, Lord, help us. Now, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the other eastern tribes were the oppressors of the people of Israel. And this was the fourth cycle of oppression. See, God had delivered the people of Israel into the promised land. 
But after several years of peace, many times 40 and sometimes 80 years of peace, they would become complacent. And even though God had instructed them not to worship other idols, they began to worship other idols. In our story here, they, God said, it says that God turned them over to the hands of the Midianites and the Amalekites and the other eastern tribes. And they would come every year for seven years and they would take everything. They would wait until harvest time and, and they would come on their camels. They came, the scripture says, like locusts. And they would break the word, they would ravage uh, the land. And that word ravage is the word for rake in the Old Testament. And they would rake everything and take all the harvest and, and all their cattle and all their, everything that they had. And this happened for seven years. And the people were so fearful that they would hide in caves and clefts in the rocks and they would make strongholds and, and they would try to protect what they had and keep it for themselves. Verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Orif that belonged to Joash the Asbarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from them. You see, the hero of our story today is Gideon. And we find Gideon hiding in a wine press. You see, it was a matter of survival. If he did not gather enough wheat for his family, someone in his family might starve to death over the next year. And they needed to gather in as much as they could and keep as much for themselves just so they could survive the hard days that are ahead. And so Gideon is not threshing weed out on a threshing floor as one might expect where the wind would separate the chaff, chaff from the, the wheat. No, he's hiding in a pit, in a wine press, threshing wheat in this little area, trying to just conserve a little bit of wheat so he could survive with his family. And it's into this situation that the angel of the Lord came and spoke to him these words, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But Gideon does not see himself as a mighty warrior. Likewise, we often do not see ourselves for all that God has for us. You see, we see ourselves for the way that we are now. But God sees us for what we can become. God sees our potential. He sees our possibilities. He sees us for what we can become with His help. And that's why the angel of the Lord said to Gideon, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Again, Gideon responded back to God with, Well, can't you see who I really am? Verse 15, My clan is the weakest in Manta, and I am the least in my family. Of all the twelve tribes of Israel, my tribe is the weakest. We have the least political power. We, have the, we are the weakest. And I am the weakest in my tribe. But God says to him, go in the strength that you, you have. And God was patient with Gideon. He says in verse 16, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. 
This story reminds us that God had a place in history for Gideon. You see, Gideon is one of those men and women that is mentioned in the the book of faith found in Hebrews chapter 11. He's recorded in history. And just as God had a place for Gideon, God has a place for you. You see, God created you. God loves you. The psalmist wrote it this way in Psalms 139, verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God created you. There's nobody else in the entire world just like you. When you think about it, everything in the world, God created. Every tree, He created. And every tree is different. Every plant, He created. And every plant is different. Every animal, He created. And every animal is different. Certainly, every human being is different. God could have made us all alike, but He didn't. Why? Because, well, an original is so much more, worth so much more than a copy. So don't try to be like somebody else. Be the person that God has created you to be. You see, an original is so much worse, so much more than a copy. You know, I, I like to watch um, these auction shows. There's American Picker, these guys, I don't know their names. They, they go through the country and they're finding stuff that most people think is junk. But they think it's a treasure and it's worse. They find old bikes and old motorcycles and, and you hear the stories and, and this junk is worth a great deal. Why? Because, well, there's not very many of them left. And yet it's a copy. You hear, you go to see these auctions and, and you find out very quickly that, a, that an original is so much worth so much more than a copy. It's true with us. You are valuable to God. God created you. He loves you. In Revelations 3.20 we read, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus knocks at our heart's door. And he says to us, I have a place for you. You see it there? If anyone hears my voice. It doesn't say if some or if a few. It says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. God has extended an invitation. It's an engraved invitation. And your name is on it. Will you RSVP? Will you accept His free gift, His invitation. He's standing at the door of our hearts and He knocks. Why? Because God has a place at the table in the kingdom of God for you. The place has already been set. The china has been put out. And there's a place in the kingdom of God for you. Will you accept His invitation? God had a place for Gideon. And God has a place for you. 
Maybe you feel like Gideon, but I'm the least of the least. And, and, and look at all the stuff, that, how we've disobeyed you, God. And Jesus says it this way in Matthew 11:28, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, the truth is, God has a place for you. And He wants to stand with you and, and be a yoke mate with you on this journey of life. Will you respond? Will you accept His free invitation? The second thing I want us to consider as we look at the story of Gideon this morning is the power of God. Verse 12, chapter 6. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But Gideon argued, But I am the least of the least. When somebody feels worthless as a person, it usually has something to do with the way they think about God. You see, if you have a small view of who God is, there's a very good chance that you're going to have a small view of yourself. But if you have a big, expansive view of who God is, there's a very good chance that you're going to have a healthy view of yourself. Let's take, for example, not just Gideon, but let's take David and Goliath. Goliath, David was just simply a a shepherd boy. But God used this young boy to tackle the great big Goliath. And David knew that that could happen because he knew how big his God was. You see, a lot of times, the problems that are around us, we we forget how big our God is. And if we have a proper perspective of who God is, the creator of the universe, who loves us and has a place for us and wants to equip us and empower us to stand firm through the adversities of life, we will find strength and comfort as we move forward to do his work. Charles H. Cooley, one of the most important social scientists and the dean of American psychology, developed sociology, developed the concept of the looking glass self. Cooley postulates that a person's self-concept is established by what he thinks the most important person in his life thinks of him. What he thinks the most important person in his life thinks of him. You see, it matters what mom and dad think of us because they reflect back to us how we think about ourselves or how our siblings think about us or how our boyfriend or girlfriend or or fiancé or husband or wife, because it reflects back to us. I worked for a pastor. His name was Steve Green. Now, stay with me here. His name was Steve Green at the Springdale Church of the Nazarene. And Steve would come into my office, and, and this was somebody that I had the utmost respect for. I watched Steve. He would, he would spend a half hour every morning reading his Greek Bible, and then he would spend a half an hour every morning reading his Hebrew Bible. He's the only guy that I ever knew that was that type of scholar where he just read, I mean, he would read from the Greek and the Hebrew only for his study. And then he would spend time in prayer. He was a man of God that I had the utmost respect for. And we served together at the Springdale Church. He was my pastor. Over the years, I've had the privilege of working with a lot of great pastors, and this was just one of them. 
Well, about once every three months, Steve Green would come into my office and, and, and he would put his, his elbow on my desk as he sat on my desk and just kind of lean back there. And we would talk for a few minutes. And Steve would say to me, Rex, there's no one else I'd rather have in that chair than you. I can't tell you what that did for me as a youth pastor who was trying to do the work that God had called me to do. It made me feel good about myself. It gave me a good reflection of how he perceived me. And it made me a better youth pastor. But you see, it always will fall short if we're looking for our identity in someone else. The world will let us down. Now consider this. What would happen if you were to make Christ the number one priority, the number one person in your life? You see, God thinks you're terrific. He created you. He created you for a purpose. He has a place for you in His kingdom. He has a purpose for you, and He wants to equip you to do that purpose. God thinks you're terrific. I like to work out. Uh, this past year, I, I uh, decided that I would um, change gyms. I've been working out at Cardinal Fitness for a long time, but I decided I wanted to run a triathlon. And so I began to try to train for that. In order to do that, I needed a place where I could swim. So I went to Spies. And, and I haven't yet run the triathlon. I wrecked my bike just prior to the race and messed up my arm real bad. And I couldn't swim the day before the race. And so I couldn't swim in the triathlon. But my plan is this next year at some point to, to run a triathlon. I'm just going to run a sprint. It's just a short one. Uh, I think it's um, half-mile swim. Uh, there's a... Uh, 13-mile bike and a three-mile run, just a short sprint. So I'm looking forward to that. But I've been going to Spies, and I'm training, and I'm always trying to get ready. And I swim about a half a mile three times a week. It takes me about 18 minutes to do that. Then I go into the gym, and I work out a little bit, and, and then I run around the track. The running is the part I don't like at all. I'm really not much of a runner. I, mean, I have a short inseam. I have to run a lot farther than most of you to get to the same distance. <laughs> Some of you can relate to that. <clears throat> I run hard. Just don't get there very fast. Well, as I run around the track, I notice there's a lot of memorabilia there at Spies. Now, there's all this Nike stuff. And then there's jerseys just from famous people, mostly basketball stars. And they're signed and... And I'm sure there's a fortune in memorabilia. But I noticed that right there as I was running around the track, it's nine laps to make a mile. Uh, I noticed right at the desk, the front desk, there's this great big Bobby Knight. He's in his red sweater and he's got his arms stretched up real high. I never noticed it. I was there for probably five months before I ever noticed this big Bobby Knight. And then I noticed over top of Bobby Knight, there's this big stained glass window that they got out of a church somewhere. And there's a Jesus. Now, I think it's kind of neat that Jesus is over top of Bobby Knight. <laughs> but the purpose for the story is this. The people of Israel were in trouble because they were disobedient to God. And they worshipped other idols. What are those idols that you worship? Do you worship the 
the God of basketball, football. What do you spend your time at? Is God really a priority in your life? Is He the focus of your life? What is it you worship? You see, I think we fail to recognize all that God has for us. That we are created for His good purpose if we fail to recognize who God is in our lives. Judges chapter 7, verse 2. Then the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver. Midian into your hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn and back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left with 10,000 remaining. So here's what's happened. Gideon meets with the angel of the Lord. He says, just wait here a minute. And he goes, takes and makes an offering, and the angel is consumed up by fire. Then he says, is this really you? And, and so there's the fleece, and it's wet, and there's the fleece, and it's dry. And once he's convinced that this really is God's will for the people of Israel, he calls the people of Israel together, and 32,000 show up. But God says, you have too many. Tell everybody who's fearful and afraid to go home. Well, 32,000, it's four to one odds. There's 135,000 over here on this side of the battle and and 32,000 over here, four to one odds. And God says, you've got too many. So 22,000 leave. Now the odds are 13 to one. Gideon has to be thinking to himself, Lord, what are you doing? Verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them there for you. So God takes them down to the water, and and those who would drink the water by putting it in their hands and watching for their enemies, those he was to keep. Those who fell to their knees and would drink the water from the stream, they were to just dismiss. Three hundred remained. Three hundred remained. Thirty-two thousand to ten thousand, now three hundred. You can imagine that Gideon is probably feeling pretty overwhelmed at this point in our story. Verse nine. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley during the night, and the Lord said to Gideon, "Get up and go down to the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Kira." And listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So Gideon does just as he's instructed. He goes down to the camp and he stands outside of a tent and he listens. And here's what he hears. Verse 11b. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the eastern people that were gathered there in that place, when they walked in that camp, they were just overwhelmed with the sheer numbers of it. The scripture says, They were as thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sands of the seashore. 
And these invaders had a, a decisive advantage. You see, they, they came in on camels. And this gave them such an advantage, militarily speaking, because, well, it was the first time camels were used in battle, as, as, as far as we know. And a camel was a fierce beast because it could travel uh, three to five days without a drink of water. It could carry 400 pounds plus its rider. It could travel as much as 100 miles in a day with just a rider. And so they could come in a very quick amount of time and be upon the people of Israel. It gave them a decisive advantage because these beasts that were so large had hooves that were cushioned. And they were fierce in battle. The odds were 300 to 135 plus this 135 outnumbered them, militarily speaking. Not just the numbers, but also in their resources. Verse 13. Gideon had arrived just before a man was telling a friend his dream. He said, I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites the whole camp into his hands. Now you have to imagine, you put yourself in Gideon's shoes, you've got to be really encouraged at this point. Verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God and he returned to the camp of Israel and he called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. You see, Gideon had felt empowered because God was with him and God was guiding him and God was directing him. And he knew. And so he steps out on faith and he calls them and get up. It's time. The victory is ours. Then God guides him in a most unusual battle plan. Verse 16. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches. And as you read on, you'll find that the Gideon told, instructed the men to stand on each side of the, of the camp. He divided them into 300, I mean 100 apiece on three sides. And in their left hand, they held a torch with a clay pot over top of it. And in the right hand, they held a trumpet. What good is a trumpet in battle? There are no weapons here. But in Gideon's instruction, they were to break, break the clay plot, pot and expose the torch and to shout the sword of the Lord for God and for Gideon, which they did. And then they would take that trumpet which was in their right hand and they would blow upon that trumpet. And what happened was when they blew upon that trumpet, the people woke and they were panicked because they saw all these lights and they heard all this noise and they knew that the enemy was coming on to kill them. And as these men stood their place, they began to fight each other. You see, what happened was the Amalekites and the Midianites, well, they had different dialects. It says in the Scriptures there were Amalekites, Midianites, and Eastern tribes. There is at least two, maybe three, maybe four or five dialects there. And they begin to fight amongst themselves and kill one another, and they fled throughout the region. And God gave Gideon victory in that battle. 
I don't know what your Midianites are this morning. I don't know what battles are before you. I don't know the things that you worry about. But God knows. God knows about your worries. He knows about your children. He knows about your crumbling marriage. He knows about the divorce. He knows about the affair. God knows. And maybe you like Gideon feel like God doesn't have a place for me. You see, when we've messed up in life and we've taken charge of our own lives and made a mess of things, it's hard for us to come to grips with the reality that God has a place for us. Gideon said, I'm the least of the least. Maybe there are times that you feel like you are the least of the least, but God has a place for you. And just like Gideon, God wants to stand with you. He comes to us and He sees us in our wine press and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Don't be afraid. I will go with you. Pastor Edgar is going to lead us in a song in just a moment. And the Lord will go with you. I don't know what battles you're facing, but God does. And He will strengthen you. As we sing this song together, the altars are open. And I want to assure you that God has a place for you. He offers to you an engraved invitation. It's yours to accept or reject. The table's already been set at the kingdom of God. There's a label right there with your name on it. There's no guesswork. And He wants to empower you and equip you for whatever life might have ahead of you. And He has a purpose for your life. For you see, we're all called. We're all sent. We're all commissioned. We're called to love one another and our neighbors ourselves. We're called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. We're called to be salt and light in our world. Maybe you, like I, at times, forget how big our God is and you think, I can't do that, Lord. But God will be with you. And He will equip you for the task. Let's stand together and sing, If the Lord has spoken to you, come, the altars are open. Accept His free invitation today.